Al Jazeera podcast. A letter signed by hundreds of international journalists says Western media coverage of the Gaza war has been biased in favor of Israel and against Palestine. Newsrooms are accused of dehumanizing Palestinians. Are the allegations fair? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Bring in our guests now. And in Toronto, Pasant Matar, an independent journalist and 2022 Nyman Fellow at Harvard University. She's also a former producer at CBC News. In London, Ahmed Al Nauk, a journalist and co founder of We Are Not Numbers, that's a non profit organization that seeks to amplify voices and stories from Gaza. And here in Doha is Mark Owen Jones, Associate Professor of Middle East Studies at Hamad bin Khalifa University. His research focuses on disinformation and propaganda. A very warm welcome to all of you. Percent, this is a pretty powerful letter written and signed by journalists themselves to their employers. You're one of the signatories. Why did you sign it? Quite frankly, Laura, I have been horrified and disappointed by the lack of courage from our profession, the lack of concern for our fellow journalists in Gaza who are not only risking their lives, but their families' lives. They are on the move. They are trying to report on what's happening as the only people bearing witness to the suffering of the people of Gaza. And I'm quite frankly so alarmed that we are now looking at over 39 journalists who have been killed. And at least in the West, it seems like there is abject silence about this. Uh, and so when I saw the letter circulating, I thought if we can't as a profession, as journalists, condemn the killing of our fellow journalists, then what are we doing here? Uh, it was just such a clear letter, and it also got at the difficulty of reporting on this, not just within Gaza, which is the most immediate, but the difficulty of talking about this and reporting on this with clarity uh, in mainstream news organizations, which has been challenging for a very long time. And that's why I added my name to it. There is a lot of fear in talking about this, and I think there is power in collective action and in journalists banding together to say, we have an obligation to cover this fairly um, and to call out the uh, targeting of journalists like us. It could be any one of us that are being targeted right now. What instances have, have you found challenging? Well, I was a longtime producer at CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and I can tell you that in my 10 years of working there, I produced thousands of interviews. I worked on a daily current affairs uh, news show. So thousands of interviews over 10 years. But the one story of mine, Laura, that never saw the light of day, an interview that I had produced, um, and in 10 years, the one story that did not make it to air was an interview that I had produced with a Palestinian-American journalist, your former Al Jazeera colleague, Ahmed Shaheb Din. Emmy-nominated journalist who was reporting on protests in Jerusalem in 2017. And ironically, one of the things that we spoke to him about was the difficulty of covering this. He had, in the course of his reporting, been stopped, questioned, uh, jostled around by Israeli security forces, on video, by the way, which is what drew my attention to him and thought I should talk to him about this for our show. And when we recorded the interview with him, uh, uh, I came back after editing it, came, coming back from a break, and was told with no discussion by hires up that this interview would not air, that they did not have time to explain it to me. 
and it was unceremoniously yanked with no editorial discussion. And it was the first and only time in my entire history at the CBC where an interview did not make it to air. And I still, to this day, am not clear as to why. And so that is just one stark example of the difficulty of putting on Palestinian voices, of talking about uh, the view from Palestine, specifically, I would say, from Arab, Arab-adjacent Muslim journalists, Palestinians themselves are often silenced uh, without uh, a lot of due process editorially. And it is just an opaque, difficult thing. And the only reason I was able to talk about it is because I wrote about it in an article that was fact-checked and bulletproof in an independent magazine here. And that was the way that I found that I could talk about this three years later in 2020. Okay, Pasem, we'll certainly look at the reasons perhaps why uh, that interview wasn't aired just a little later in the discussion. First of all, Mark, I just want to get some uh, examples from you because I know you've been looking at the UK media. Mm. Give us an idea of what you're seeing there and the way that you're seeing bias creeping in and the dehumanisation of Palestinians becoming the norm. Well, I think a key aspect of dehumanization is also marginalization. If you can mm -hmm. make a people invisible, if you can make their suffering disappear, then you're going to basically be controlling how much sympathy the public have for those people. And I was, for example, examining the front pages of uh, a number of the, the, the British press, including the Daily Mail, which is one of the most circulated newspapers in the UK. And I found in the first 14 days of the, the conflict, or the war rather, that they did not mention once on the front page uh, the cumulative total of Palestinians killed in Gaza, okay? And this is despite mentioning the number of uh, Israelis who were killed on October the 7th and thereabouts uh, several different times. So I thought this, to me, was a really striking example of how, for example, uh, Palestinians are removed from the picture, they're removed from suffering. It's almost as if, uh, you know, uh, the Israeli suffering was, was the only kind of suffering that was worth mentioning on the front page of these newspapers. And I think we shouldn't take that lightly. I'm not saying that, you know, these figures weren't mentioned uh, in the paper in, on, on a different page. But I think we all know that the front page, the headline, is a really important positioning. It, it's what many people read. It's the only thing some people read. And it also gives us an insight into that editorial process. What does that newspaper want us to think about what's going on in Gaza? And this is just one example uh, of a number. And that doesn't even start to mention the use of language, the dehumanizing nature of language. And this is another thing I'd really like to mention. What I've noticed, even in sort of the more quality papers in the UK, like The Guardian, Often they will preface what Hamas did with terms like brutal and massacre. Mm. But when it comes to, for example, the Israeli bombing of, of Gaza, which has killed over 10,000 people in horrific, brutal ways, terms like brutal are never used. It's always things like precision strike or collateral damage, right? So there's this kind of, you know, double speak going on when reporting about Israeli atrocities that is not used when it comes to, uh, you know, those perceived atrocities carried out by Palestinians. And, and this is not accidental, you know. This is, you know, how, how writing is constructed to actually marginalize the suffering of Palestinians. And this has been an ongoing uh, issue in how Western media generally has portrayed what's going on in Palestine. And it's unacceptable. Ahmed, you've been on the receiving end of this bias yourself. Your, your own suffering has been uh, belittled. Will you share with us your experience? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Actually, what's going on here and uh, the Western media bias on Palestine is not new. We are used to it. It has been ongoing for the past 75 years. And uh, recently, in, uh, during the past three weeks, I lost 21 family members. And uh, they were uh, civilians. They were sleeping in their home and Israel bombed them, including 14 of my nieces and nephews who were kids. They were killed. 
And then uh, the media invited me. A lot of media outlets invited me to talk and uh, to speak about my family and what's going on. But the problem with, with that is it is always the media invite the Palestinians to speak in order to embarrass them, in order to put them in uh, in a position where they have to defend themselves, to mm. prove the wor their worthiness to the to the Western audience. For example, I lost 21 family members in just one bomb. And then uh, in one of the interviews, they said Ahmed lost 21 family members. They did not say Israel killed 21 family members uh, of Ahmad while they were asleep. They said lost. But when you talk about the Israelis and when they describe the Israelis, they always say Israelis are brutally killed, massacred, terrorists killed them. But the Palestinians, they just lose their family their family members. The, the Palestinians die all the time. That's the problem. And on many other cases, they on many other TV appearances, they ask me, after knowing that I lost 21 family members, they asked me to condemn Hamas or what they, what do I think of Hamas? Or if I were close to my brothers and sisters who I grew up uh, in my entire life with. So it's always our perception is uh, countered with uh, disbelief. They, they want to make sure that I am correct, that my, my family means something to me. Uh, many of the big publications also uh, wrote interviews, with uh, wrote articles about me. And every single information i tell them about my family they want to prove they want to see my house on google maps they want to know the names of my brothers and sisters and their ages and what they were doing and these interviews went through a lot a lot of scrutiny because they want to make sure that i'm not lying so they always have this impression that i might be lying that my family is hamas that there is a justification whatsoever but when you compare that with what happened in Israel in 7th of October, the same mainstream uh, media outlets, they were not reluctant to disseminate information and lies and fake news by the Israelis without any scrutiny, without any mm. fact-checking, without, uh, without any professional uh, media work. That's the problem. I've been on many, many TV appearances during the past uh, one month, and in every one of them, it is almost that they want to ask me if I condemn Hamas or not, because they think that condemning Hamas or the question is about Hamas is a litmus test that I have to do, I have to undertake in order to prove that I'm worthy of being heard. That's the problem we have been suffering with the mainstream media for 75 years, is that always the Palestinians are less worthy, our life are less important. And then yesterday, for example, uh, Talk TV did an interview with me, and then I was I wanted to know what, what the comments on their YouTube channel. And mm. every single comment on that interview was very, very, very negative. Everyone said that I do not deserve sympathy because I did not condemn Hamas. I wasn't asked, by the way, to condemn Hamas on that interview, but they said that I don't deserve sympathy. Some people think we thought it was too weird that I have 20, fam 20 family members and that I am lying because I have 20 family members. They think there are too many and they shouldn't be, uh, I, I shouldn't have too many family members. Mm. And I don't blame the people who say that, but it is, this is the outcome of decades of Western media disinformation and lies about the Palestinian people and demonization of the Palestinian people. It's Percent, made people let me just so jump in there. I just want to get an idea from Percent, who's just you know, recently been with CBC, sort of very mainstream media there in, in uh, Canada. Do you understand, do you, do you accept that there's this reluctance to accept Palestinian suffering as equal to Israeli suffering? Uh, that it needs to be scrutinized, that the stories need to be fact-checked. Do, do you see that happening in the newsrooms where you've been working? Absolutely. And, and even before getting to a stage of, of fact-checking or verifying 
the bar for getting Palestinian voices or stories about Palestine on the air is is so high. It is almost uh, it, it's an impossible bar to meet. And when we do reach that threshold, it is because there has been an attack on Israelis. Israelis have been killed or injured. And that then gives us the green light in Western media often to wade into it. And it is often contextless. Uh, Palestinians rarely get on to talk about their lives, uh, the daily injustices that they face, the missing context that has been missing from coverage about Palestine and Israel for so long. And, you know, what we see often is the, a very limited window of conversation. These days it is, do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn Hamas? Even when Palestinians do make it onto the air, it is often what I would call trauma porn. Tell us about your pain. Tell us mm. about who you've lost. But when we start to get into the context and holding Israel accountable, um, you know, bringing it back to journalists, you know, Israel has deliberately targeted journalists and not just journalists who are in the field, but journalists sleeping in their homes along with their families. And so there is often a, a missing context and a missing clarity about the violence and the death that Palestinians are experiencing. And it seems to only be discussed when Israelis face violence first, and then Palestinians are brought on to respond to this. And uh, the context piece has been very, very hard to get at, because then you're looking at words like occupation, mm. like, you know, international human rights groups talking about ethnic cleansing and genocide, the United Nations. Um, but there is such reluctance to talk about these things. And then there are groups that, you know, have gone after and as a rule go after anyone in the media who talks about uh, Palestinian freedom, Palestinian the occupation, and they say that this is anti-Semitic. They say that you know you're calling for the destruction of Israel, and it gets so warped. And so basically, newsroom managers do not want this headache. A lot of it is just fear. There's a chill because talking about this gets people riled up, and the accusations of anti-Semitism fly. There has been such a flattening of you know criticism of. Uh, policies of the state of Israel, the Israeli government, is often just uh, seen as anti-Semitic. And mm. so therefore, no one wants to touch it, and no newsroom managers want to deal with ombudsman complaints. So therefore, we just don't wade into it. And this has been going on for a very long time, and I think we're seeing the results of this right now. You brought up so many good points there that I want to look at. I'm just going to pick up on that culture of fear that you mentioned. Mark, how risky is it for journalists like Pacent to speak out like this? We've seen people in the past speaking up and then losing their jobs over it. I, th I mean, I think, you know, we're seeing this uh, ample evidence of this right now. Several journalists in the U.S. Have, have lost their jobs for various reasons, including signing on a letter that was mm. condemning, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, just the unbelievable level of violence enacted by Israel on Palestinians. We saw someone fired from a position editing a magazine because he endorsed or he liked and praised a satirical Onion article because he was saying that The Onion, which is a satirical American mm. news outlet, was actually providing some of the most astute and critical coverage in the US of what was going on in Palestine. Could you imagine what kind of state we're living in when people lose their job, a journalist will lose their job simply for appreciating satire, which was happening within the bounds of the law? I mean, it's actually terrifying. And I think, you know, these 
these kind of risks uh, are, are, are everywhere. Even as an academic, I faced it myself. I got a, 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 an email from a journalist, a, a British uh, journalist, uh, going through my tweets, trying to basically find any evidence that I was quote-unquote anti-Semitic. And one of the tweets he used as an example to try and cite me as being anti-Semitic in this article he wanted to write was one where I said, why do people have a problem when you compare, for example, media coverage or coverage of Palestine with that of Ukraine? How on earth is that even remotely anti-Semitic? Mm -hmm. How is it even remotely anti-Israeli? So, I mean, there's one thing where there's this attempt, which is really common, to basically accuse anyone who's remotely critical of Israel as being anti-Semitic. But then there's this other level where you're accusing people who aren't even criticizing Israel of being anti-Semitic. You know, it is this huge flattening that we see, and it's hugely problematic. And, and, I, and I worry, and this, is, this draws on the point that was just being made about context, what happens, and this has happened to many people, including myself and other journalists, who try to talk about the backstory, right? The thing is, with, often with, with news media and journalism, it tries to create a beginning and a middle and an end to a story, right? This is where this whole, do you condemn Hamas comes in. What journalists mm. are trying to do there is trying to say, OK, we want you to admit that Hamas started it, and then once you admit that, then we'll talk to you, which is preposterous, right? Um, and it's always trying to frame any form of Israeli aggression as a response as a retaliation to what Hamas did. None of this is about, you know, decades of occupation and apartheid and brutalization being the reason for causing what happened on the 7th of October. You know, that's, that's not how it's framed. So the whole the do you condemn Hamas is a form of gaslighting. It's a form of basically Palestinians trying to acknowledge that they are complicit somehow in their own suffering. And this discourse continues throughout. Even the arguments that, you know, Hamas used human shields, right? Uh, mm. that, that, you know, Palestinians live in crowded areas. All, it's all designed in a way to make it sound like Palestinian deaths are somehow their own doing. Well, this is the point that I wanted to actually bring Ahmed in on. It's this idea of context again. And because we keep seeing in many Western media outlets uh, pro-Israeli government voices coming on saying, this started on October the 7th. We're missing, aren't we, Ahmed, the context here. There's little space in many Western media outlets to talk about the situation before October the 7th, using words, like Percent said, of apartheid, of occupation. This is what's missing. Of course, this is uh, missing now. It has always been missing. Uh, I did my my uh, my master's degree in uh, in journalism, and my dissertation was about the Western media coverage in Palestine. And I can safely say that one of the main important uh, topics that we're talking about, the, the many problems that we're having with the Western media is the lack of context and also of what the Western media exclude rather than what they include. For example, if you uh, talk, if, if you uh, uh, work at a human, uh, if you work at um, a newspaper, and if you say it that the Palestinian people have been living under military occupation for the past uh, 57 years, it will make a huge difference. If you talk about the settlements that are spreading in the West Bank, where there is no Hamas in the West Bank, it will make a huge difference to the reader. There are many, many, if you talk about the uh, collective punishment of siege that has been uh, ongoing in Gaza for the past 17 years, people will have a context. They will have an understanding of what's actually going on. Right now, the media only focuses or tell the stories of the Palestinians or talk about the conflict when there are Israelis killed. For example, since the beginning of this year, more than 400 Palestinian people were killed in the West Bank. Mm. And then the media talked about it. They only talked to us 
they only talk to the Palestinians when there are Israeli killed, as if the Israelis are the only important people here, the only lives that matter, and the Palestinians' life don't matter. They don't talk about the, the military occupation. They don't talk about the Nakba. You never hear about the Nakba or the catastrophe that happened to the Palestinians 75 years ago, which uh, displaced uh, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their home. All of this context is never provided to the audience, and that's why the audience will only know uh, about Gaza or talk about Gaza when there are bombing, when there are Israelis killed, and this will give the, the audience a negative perception mm. about uh, about about this conflict. So this is one of the main problems that we ha are suffering from, and it's only the Palestinians are portrayed in a, in a bad, in a negative, in a negative way. Where they don't talk about success stories, about talents, about uh, the, the bright side of the Palestinians. They only talk about the Palestinians when there are when there is bloodshed. That's a problem, and that's why we have a, a lot of a lot of stereotypes in the West about Palestine and about what's going on in, in Palestine. Mark, I just want to bring you back to that point that you said about the, the number of uh, Palestinian deaths being missing from uh, front-page coverage uh, when the number of Israeli deaths is, is frequently reported. Do you think, as an audience, as a, a consumer of news, that we have a higher threshold for state violence over non-state violence? Do you think that plays into it? Um, I don't know if we have a higher threshold, uh, but I think, you know, it depends how you want to play it. I mean, are you saying, I mean, Hamas are, are elected, right? Are we, are, can we say that that's state mm. violence too? Why are we treating Hamas as this terrorist organization, whereas Israeli violence is somehow more legitimate? You know, Israel mm -hmm. are constantly in violation of international law. Uh, they're, you know, bombing with these kind of indiscriminate weapons, densely populated area that are killing hundreds of people. I don't think it should matter or not whether this violence is state violence or not. I think what we're trying to see, uh, we're just trying to see this deliberate attempt to marginalize human suffering. And, and, and the, the 10,000s of people killed, I think if that was anywhere else, if that was in Ukraine, we would see a lot of attention paid to that story. So I don't think it's about state violence per se. I mean, Russia is a state and it's killing people. But what I do think here is this really interesting politicization over the number of people killed. The number of Palestinians killed is becoming a, a political problem for even J Biden and Israel. Look what Biden did. He went on the news to try and cast doubt on the number of Palestinians killed by using terms like Hamas-run health ministry. We cannot trust these numbers. And where was the source for this story? Israeli intelligence? It was some guy who used to be a bureau chief in Jerusalem who said that we can't trust Hamas as numbers. Right? That was that was the source for mm. that story. And no one actually mentioned that the guy who the source for that story was was actually also working now for a PR firm. I mean, it's right. absurd. And, 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 okay, and that, Mark, I'm just going to jump in there. there. Sorry, just one just... second. It's just today, the Israelis even downgraded the number of their casualties, right? Mm. And I just think it's important. It's, it's not to say to, to undermine that that's a tragedy of the, and the amount of civilians that died. But at the end of the day, the Israelis have lowered downgraded the number of people killed. There was never did, any doubt. By 200. Yeah, by but 200. Said, I, just want to, I just want to get the last word into you because we've only got a minute left on the discussion. You've written, you've signed this letter. Do you think it's going to have any impact on the way the Israeli-Gaza war is going to be covered from here on in? I, I, I don't know, Laura. And the fact that I don't know if this will have any impact is, is I think, um, is chilling. But I have mm. just been haunted by watching journalists. Um, you know, there was a, a Palestine TV journalist who openly wept on TV. Uh, Salman al-Bashir was crying about his colleague, Mohammed Abu Hatab, just within the last week who was killed after finishing his coverage, going home to sleep. And I was haunted by this Palestine TV correspondent standing outside of a hospital, seeing his colleague come in dead, who had just been reporting before him. And he took off his press vest, he took off his helmet, 
and said, we are victims, we are being targeted one by one, and these things are not protecting us. There is no international protection. And uh, I was haunted by that. Wa'il al-Dahdur from Al Jazeera, the Gaza bureau chief, his, he lost his whole family, his wife, his daughter, his son, his grandchild, and was on the air the next day saying, I'm mm. committed to tell the story. So that is what motivates me to sign and to, to hopefully, um, you know, have a conversation about if we can't even condemn the killing of our fellow journalists, how can we condemn the wider genocide that is taking place against uh, Palestinian civilians in the tens of thousands, like over 10,000 now? I'm haunted by it. And if this letter is just a, a drop in the ocean, I hope it's one that creates a very necessary conversation about what's happening now, at least in the journalistic community. Okay. Well, hopefully this is part of that conversation. Many thanks to all our guests for joining us here today. Pasant Matar, Ahmed Al-Nauk and Mark Owen-Jones. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Paul Trajergian, Abla Klar and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Sasha Andreevich. The programme was edited by Romola Sonsion, Zaina Bada and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Sunday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.